This is Justin Roth from War Curse, and you are listening to Misery Point Radio. for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. Appreciate you being here, because you know what they say, misery loves company, right? And it does get lonely here in the wasteland, slinging out the piles of awesomeness you've all come to expect. It's a dirty fucking job, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be than right here with you. Inundating the brainwashed masses with my special brand of podcast propaganda, but hey, truth and awesomeness are subjective. And of course, I encourage everyone to share their awesomeness and speak their truths, and that's just what you're about to hear from today's guest. So, a few months back, I met Justin Roth at an exhorter show in Seattle, Washington. He was acting as their tour manager. Well, he wasn't acting, he was and is actually their tour manager. So no acting involved. Well, maybe some acting. Anywho, Justin plays guitar and acts as primary songwriter in his own band called War Curse. And they're an absolutely killer thrash band based out of Cincinnati. And they've become really well known for producing some truly, truly off-the-rails live shows. And they recently released their first full-length album called Eradication, featuring an absolutely killer lineup. And Justin agreed to hang out with me today to discuss all things War Curse, including an exclusive announcement regarding new material. And he dished on his various roles working with other bands, his thoughts on the industry, his experience on 70,000 tons of metal, and a brutally honest, no-holds-barred insight into the types of people and situations that set him off. And let me tell you, this dude doesn't hold back. Oh, and we also played a killer game of Who Sucks More, further solidifying his place in music history as the most sensitive and lovable artist of all time. So put on your big kid pants and belly crawl into your safe space, because you're going to need some painkillers after this one. And probably some therapy or something. But who knows, you might actually learn something. So stick around and check it out, if you dare. All right, so hey, Justin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, man, glad to be here. Yeah, you're a, you're a busy motherfucker, let me tell you. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> in addition to, of course, playing in War Curse, which we're definitely going to spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you act as like a tour manager, stagehand, guitar tech, and definitely as I've looked into what you've done, you've got a reputation as being one of the kind of the hardest working people in the business. I mean, you work with like Exhorter, Morbid Angel, Exodus, uh, and you just got back from 70,000 tons. So uh, you got to be just tired as hell. <laughs> Dude, I am tired as fuck. But um, it's funny how you get a reputation for being the hardest working guy when you have basically no job. And you, it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You're professional a slacker. <laughs> professional slacker. So how was 70,000 tons, by the way? It was crazy. That was the first time I'd ever done the boat. So um, I didn't know what to expect going in. I had talked to a couple people, of course, but um, weird experience. I'm not a cruise ship dude, as I found out. Right. My head, I'm, I'm still kind of uh, sea-legging and, uh, and floating around a little bit. Um, but it was cool. You know, from a fan perspective, if I was a fan, if I wasn't working, uh, that's for one, that's the closest thing you're going to get to a real sort of full-blown uh, festival experience if you're in the U.S., Right. You know, we we obviously don't get the big, you know, downloads and Hellfests and all that sort of stuff. So this is the this is the best put together thing I've seen with great lineup, great everything. But um, 
the, the number one thing that was cool about this for, for the fans is that they get full access to everybody. This isn't like, um, you know, when, when we do Hellfest and any of these big festivals, what most people don't realize is that the, uh, the green rooms, they're sometimes a mile from the stage. You know, they're, they're in a totally different area. Fans can't get there. You know, they, they normally drive you to and from the stage. So you're very isolated from, from the public. And on the boat, uh, the neat thing is it doesn't matter who it is. They're, they're eating with you. They're, they're hanging out with you. They're drinking with you. You know, it's just it's, everybody's in the same spot. So fans get, get, get access to the, uh, to the musicians and, and bands. And, you know, it's, it's very intimate, very cool in that regard. Yeah. And were you there as a fan or were you working? Were you guys performing? Uh, I was actually there with Exodus. I was a uh, tour manager and uh, I teched for Lee and Jack. Okay, awesome. So you were uh, you were on the payroll this time around. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Did not have to did not have to pay to get on the boat thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at some of those costs. That's uh that's pretty legit. So as tour manager for Exodus, is that something that you do regularly or was that just for this gig? Uh, normally uh, their TM is, I, I, well, I, I think so anyway, every time I've worked for them anyway, their TM is normally Robin Mason, mm-hmm. who, who is also their manager. And, um, but with, with this particular event, she was handling merch and a bunch of logistical stuff for 70,000. So, uh, you know, she knows that I can handle that stuff. So she asked me to step in and take care of some of that. I'm normally just teching for them, just taking care of guitars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so how did you get, I mean, obviously there's some, some, six degrees of separation between you and a million other bands out there. But how did you end up getting with Exodus as far as working with them? Well, uh, Craigan, who was filling in for Gary while Gary was in Slayer. Right. Uh, yeah. Craigan of uh, Heathen. He is our manager. He manages Workhurst. Okay. And, and sort of the, the connection there, Jason Vibrooks played bass for Workhurst for quite a while. And Jason, of course, was the basis of Heathen. Right. Basis of Grip Inc. and a bunch of these bands. So Also that, Exhorter. That, yeah, an exhorter, of course. So, so that's how I kind of got to know Craig. And, and uh, I came to tech form, just kind of uh, just fade, I guess, accident sort of thing. We were uh, we were out with exhorter and we had a shared event together. We were playing together in Atlanta and, uh, you know, it didn't make sense for them to fly somebody in for one event. So I stepped up and uh, just pulled double duty that night. And I guess uh, I must have done a good enough job because they've kept me around since. I've done a handful of events with them and it's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So how, how was the uh, how was the Exodus set? Um, I mean, do they do more than one? I'm not sure how the whole flow works on the boat. Yeah, everybody does two sets on the boat, which is kind of cool. Uh, you'll do two different stages. They give you two times completely at random. Uh, the first set was just kind of a mixed set. Uh, usual Exodus set, fucking violent, fast, heavy, fun. Right. Um, and that was an indoor set. We played the uh, the big theater, the first set. That was actually on the uh, the first night of the boat. And then we closed it out. We were the last performance on the boat as well. And that was the full Bonded by Blood set. Uh, and that was a fucking banger. And that was outside. That was on the pool deck. So pretty neat. You guys closed out the whole show then. Yeah, yeah, last last performance on the boat. That's killer. Yeah, I saw some footage that some friends of mine were taking, and it was really bizarre to see, like, Possessed playing outside in the middle of the day with, like, water in the background. It just seemed, it seemed so out of element. But, uh, yeah, that, that whole environment, I'm definitely going to have to get to get up on that sometime because that just looks killer. Yeah, that's kind of the fun thing about it. And I've always found that amusing about festivals as well, or just, like, when you see these tours, you know, like Ghost, for example, opening for Metallica in the middle of the day with the sun fucking blaring, you know, it just <laughs> it, it, it's so out of place. It's so random, but it's kind of cool because then you see like the, you know, you 
kind of get a better look at what they're doing. And I don't know, they can't hide behind theatrics and lights and all that sort of shit. They've actually got to put on a bit of a show. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Right. And everybody's right there. So yeah, there's a little bit less to hide behind. Yeah. Who do you think as far as the, the bands that played there that maybe I'm not sure how many you got a chance to check out, but was there a standout performance that you, you didn't expect to be as awesome as they were? Uh, no, I mean, you don't get on the boat being a scrub. So, I mean, everybody, I expected the best of everybody. But, um, you know, some of my favorite performances, and actually this was pretty surreal. I got to watch Michael Schenker from, like, me to my computer screen right now. So yeah. that was, that was he's a fucking legend, and that was incredible. He did a couple performances. Again, he was outside and inside both, and I got to watch both. Um, I, I did. I caught a lot of stuff, and actually I, I made it a point because typically when I work these events, whether I'm playing or whether I'm teching, um, you're so busy, you know, but this is, we only had two performances spread out over six days. So it's a little different. You actually have time to go out and, and watch shows. It's not like, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see these lineups and, and, you know, like for example, last year, Hellfest, you know, I think Judas Priest was the day before us and all these bands are either on at the same time or right before or after, and you're running around getting ready. So you don't really get a chance to take it in. And, uh, you know, that was, that's kind of the nice thing with the way they schedule on the boat is, you know, even musicians, you get to go watch your other, you know, other favorite musicians and, and get to actually catch some sets. So, uh, yeah, I kind of just took a look at the program and said, like, I'm definitely not going to miss, you know, this, this, and this. I got to watch, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, Whiplash, uh, my buddy Roddy is, uh, Ronnie is singing in Toxic now and I got oh, to catch killer. the, yeah, the full world circus set. That was fucking awesome. But uh, yeah, just a lot of killer stuff, man. Havoc, Origin, just a lot of really, really good bands, a lot of which I'm friends with. So it was, it was good to actually get to be both a fan and, and kind of be there in a professional capacity. Yeah. Would you find yourself having really, really, really long days, though, where you'd get up and start working and then go watch shows and all of a sudden it's two o'clock in the morning? Uh, there was actually, um, I did two no sleeps. So like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You get screwing around and you lose track of time and, and being on the boat, it's kind of like being in a casino or like being in Vegas. There's no, there's no sunlight. You don't, you don't fucking know what time it is and, and your rooms are pitch black. So if you fall asleep and you wake up, I mean, one day I woke up and it was 6.30 PM and I'm like, what the fuck? So, uh, oh, you have schedule, no visual time reference. None, zero. So yeah, my schedule got a little crazy. And, um, you know, when I'm at home, I, I have kind of a, a habit, I guess they're kind of reputation for not sleeping anyway. A lot of guys, they know that if they message me at three 30 in the morning, they'll get a reply because I'm typically awake at random hours anyway. So it wasn't <laughs> that, that much different, but being on the boat kind of added a, a weird element to it. So, yeah. And it's definitely cool that, I mean, you get to see a lot of your friends kind of all in one spot rather than having to catch them at all various points of the country or wherever else they may be. Yeah. Yeah. That was what was so cool. You know, it's like, we're sitting there eating lunch and it's, you know, it's, it's the Exodus guys. we got the heathen guys there. we got the toxic guys there. It's like a big reunion. So everybody just hanging out, having a good time together. Yeah. And then random people. <laughs> and, and tons of random people. That's awesome. So I definitely want to spend a little bit of time talking about workers, but just a couple more questions regarding your other duties here, especially as far as tour managing goes. Now, uh, when I first met you, you kind of helped facilitate my interview with Vinny LaBella. So thank you again for that, because that was a super badass day and an awesome show. Um, oh, yeah. So how do you go about, you know, balancing between playing in a band and being a tour manager? Because, I mean, I don't know how managing a tour works, but I assume that it's a lot of hours and a lot of time put in. It is. And um, you, you just kind of look at your schedule and say, well, I'm available this month through this month, you know what, you know, you've only got so many months that you can, you can schedule. So sure. when I'm, when I'm not, I mean, everybody that I work for knows that my band comes first and then, um, 
you know, I pencil it in as, as I can, but you know, tour managing, yeah, it's, it's a lot of weird kind of logistical work. Um, if you do your job right, you have advanced the hell out of everything and you've, you figured your route, you know, where you're staying, you've done all your, all your paperwork and, and kind of your boring stuff before you leave. And then it makes it a lot easier on the road to kind of sit back and, you know, just deal with the, the usual nonsense on the road. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, scheduling it out. All, most tours are booked, you know, two to seven months out, you know, right now, uh, Workhurst has already got some stuff booked for, uh, next December, you know? So yeah, with it being that far out. Yeah. It's pretty easy to work around. Oh, that's awesome. And what, what exactly is the, the day to day describe what it is that you do as a tour manager for these bands? Uh, it's kind of, you know, it depends on the band. Some bands are very needy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, you got a diva in every band, it seems like. But, um, you know, for the most part, I would say the tour managing part, again, if you do the work before you leave, it's a lot easier once you're out there. Um, but, you know, t- typical stuff, make sure everybody gets where they're going, make sure the bus driver knows where to go, make sure that hospitality gets taken care of, make sure that everybody knows where they're going to sleep. If there's days off, that you've got day rooms, that you've got, you know, pretty much everything that the guys need to be happy. Uh, touring is, you know, some people know this and some people don't, but it, it's not the most fun. You know I mean? It's, 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 it's hard, it's hard work. You know, it's a lot of bullshit and, and a lot of restless days and a lot of sore, sore muscles and headaches and disputes. And, you know, there's just a lot of shit. So, you know, as a good tour manager, my, my job, in my opinion, is to make sure everybody's happy, make sure that uh, everybody, you know, morale's up, everything's running smooth so that the shows go well. So that, you know, because that comes across, you know, a happy band, a band that's, having a good tour is going to perform better. The fans will have a better experience. So, you know, just try to make sure everything runs smooth. Yeah. Get, you know, get everybody on and off stage on time. If we're the support band, making sure we're ready to go, make sure the opening bands off the stage on time, make sure the headliner is happy, you know, and if, if we're the headliner, you know, same shit applies, just kind of, you know, juxtaposition the, you know, the times or whatever, but that's pretty much what you do. You know, you're, you're kind of a babysitter to the stars, so to speak. <laughs> making sure that, uh, podcasters, uh, get their interviews in, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I try to schedule them between three and five, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Vinny told me that, uh, that tour was kind of like, how did he put it? Like a, uh, a geriatric show full of muscle relaxers and marijuana. That sounds like every exhorter show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no. and you, all, you also tech for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, well, Sometimes we're fortunate we get to bring uh, Josh, uh, Josh Murphy, my other guitar player and worker. So we get to bring him and he's a phenomenal drum tech. He actually he's been uh, drum teching for Tom Hunting. He's been coming out with Exodus with me. But uh, sometimes he'll tech for Sasha. But when we don't have the budget or it's uh, or it's kind of it's sort of up to their management. But when we don't have the capacity to bring Murphy, I'm the only tech for the whole band. So holy shit. kind of. Yeah, I'm like the everything guy, man. I'm like the tour manager, tech, social media guy, you name it. So it's a, a lot of shit falls in my lap. Well, that kind of reminds me too, because I'm I'm looking behind you and I see that red uh, guitar. Now, is that the one that uh, Marzi hooked you up with? Yeah, Marzi gave me that guitar at the end of the tour. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, actually, there, there's a pretty funny story about this guitar, and I don't know if I should embarrass Marzi by telling it, but I'm going to do tell it. it anyway. Sorry, yeah. Marzi, in advance. No, uh, <laughs> I love you, Marzi. So. uh we were out in Seattle and uh, Jeff Loomis came out to the show and, and oh. Jeff, you know, he's a, he's a buddy of everybody. And uh, from, from my neck of the woods. So, yeah. So, so you've probably seen him out. He's one of the nicest guys that you could ever meet and talk to. For sure. But uh, I was giving Marzi a hard time. Marzi was on the bus kind of noodling and being, you know, Marzi guitar hero on the bus. And I, I was like, Hey man, 
Jeff Loomis is out there. You should go get his autograph. You know, I'm kind of fucking with him a little bit. And uh, Marzi being Marzi, he's like, well, he can come on the bus and get my autograph. You know, totally joking around. <laughs> so what I did to fuck with Marzi is I went and I was like, okay, I'll show you, motherfucker. I went and got Marzi's guitar out of the guitar boat. And I took it to Jeff Loomis and had him autograph it big as fuck on the back. And I didn't tell Marzi about it. And I just put it back. So later, Marzi finds his guitar with Jeff Loomis' signature on it, big as fuck, and it was super funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, but then he ends up, but then he signs it and gives it to me. So now I've just got a guitar with fucking Marzi and Jeff Loomis' signature on the back. That's so funny. legit. That's so crazy. And yeah, I, and I saw that video because I mean, obviously they they put it up online, and and it's. Uh, here you go. Thanks for being badass, and thanks for all the hurt, hard work you do. And, and so, what was that moment like for you? Oh, it was cool. You know, I mean, Marzi's a really good dude. All the, everybody in the Exhorter is like family to me. You know, I've been with them since they reformed, and you know, it, it, it's a, it's cool to get that recognition, though. You don't get that from every band you work for. It's kind of rare. Yeah. But um, you know, in many ways, in that band, I think I am the sixth guy. You know, I'm the kind of the the dude that keeps the wheels on the thing. So it was uh. It was nice to finally get some recognition. Awesome. Cool. So, uh, well, I guess let's, uh, you've, you've told me a lot about kind of your, your other duties that you do. Let's, let's talk about some war curse. You guys are kicking ass in the thrash world if we're going to, you know, categorize stuff. Um, yeah, thank you. But it's just, it's so in your face and so aggressive. And, and uh, I guess that was always kind of the goal. You guys just wanted to come out and just do something mm-hmm. just straight up in your face kick ass. Uh, you know, I mean, when we started it, uh, so we, we formed in, in very late 2013 and to be honest with you, I was done playing music at that point in time. Like I've been in bands for 15, 20 years. Right. I had my, my fill of it. I, I had my fill of touring and dealing with the bullshit that, that comes along with being in a band, but it, it pulls you back in, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I love it. But, um, we started it as just kind of a little fuck around thing in my basement and, uh, I never wanted to give it a name. Because when you give it a name, it becomes official. Right. I never, I never wanted to play a show. And the next thing you know, we're playing shows. And um, we recorded uh, Final Days, which was our, our first album. It's and, supposed uh, to be a demo, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be our demo. You know, I mean, it was just literally, it was just so we could book local shows. I was like, well, you know, if we were going to play some shows, we might as well have some music to send promoters. So we made Final Days. And I, I handed it over to Curtis, uh, Curtis DeWar, who is our PR agent. I just said, here, man, see what you think about this, see what you can do with it. And next thing you know, the fucking thing just took off. And um, ever since then, you know, we've just been working harder to, to get it out there. And it kind of became a full time thing and, and a serious project. So my first impression of it was that it, it just it sounded so raw, but it sounded so modern, but it had its own identity, which I thought was great. It's got this semi-political vibe to it, but it's not so like preachy about it. And uh, I don't know, I, I've listened to uh, Eradication over and over and over again at this point, and it's just, uh, it's in regular rotation now, so. Well, it's always fun to hear what other people hear. You right. Know, um, when we put out our first album, all the uh, all the comments and all the reviews and everything were like, I can tell these guys fucking love Slayer. And I'm thinking to myself like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I like Slayer. Sure. I don't hate Slayer, but that's far. That's like number one thousand on my list of influences. You know, I'm not right. Not, not the biggest Slayer fan. Um, and uh, you know, and so some guys would get it. You know, every once in a while, there's like a Matt Co or somebody who who really, I, I don't know. Maybe they just they're just plugged into it or something. But you know, the, my influences are all over the map. You know, right. Dokken and fucking Metal Church, and you know, I just listen to tons and tons of shit and tons more, probably more outside of metal than than in metal even. Right. But um. So, so yeah, but it's always fun to hear what, you know, what people think. I think that the new album, um, 
the reviewers got closer, <laughs> I guess they're, 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 they're honing in. They're kind of narrowing in on some of my influences now, but, um, yeah. to me, you know, we never set out to be necessarily like a thrash band. That right. wasn't, we, we never said like, we're going to be the thrashiest band in the world. We're going to be this, we're going to be that. We don't try to out thrash Warbringer. We're not going to try to out fucking catch, you know, hook, you know, bands like, I don't know, fucking Sabaton or, you know, any of these other bands that are real purposely catchy to us. It's just, um, it's kind of just what comes out when I pick up a guitar. Yeah. Like if I pick up a guitar and start to riff, uh, you know, bands like Megadeth and, and Testament and even Exodus and stuff like that, that's the shit that I grew up with. And right. I mean that literally, you know, from the time I was, you know, five, six years old, it was always Megadeth, Metallica, bands like that. And um, it's just in my DNA. Like I just, I don't know how to write anything other than what I'm writing, you know? So. Yeah. And you are the, are you the primary songwriter? Is it kind of a collaborative thing? Yeah, I would say, you know, when it comes to riffing, our our process always kind of starts with uh, stuff that I have in my phone. Just I have I have a stockpile of riffs. If I die today and they decide to keep going, they I've got enough shit. They could fucking do ten <laughs> albums. I, I I have this challenge to myself. I like to record, even if it's not the best riff, even if it's just a filler riff or just a fun little intro thing. I like to record one riff a day. And I, and this is good advice to any band that's starting out or any, any other guitarist that wants to start kind of stockpiling riffs. If you can go to bed every day, knowing you recorded at least one riff, when it comes time to write an album, you have so much shit to work with. You don't have to scramble and get in a room and fucking beat your head against the wall until something comes out and I'll label them, you know, it'll be like fast verse riff in this key, you know? So it's like, it's real easy if I, if I'm sitting there writing and I hit a wall and I say, well, I need a. I need a catchy chorus riff. Well, I've got a thousand things on my phone labeled, you know, chorus riff and, and whatever. And, you know, with BPM and all that kind of stuff, I normally record to a click to make my life even easier. So, yeah, you can just sort of start snapping things together and seeing what works with, with each other. And, yeah, so, so anyway, our stuff normally starts with I'll, I'll bring some ideas to the table. And uh, Murphy, we always joke he's like the RBI guy. You know, Murphy kind of bats cleanup. I'll have three quarters <laughs> of a song. And, and then, like, Murphy will sprinkle his – his riffs in there. And, and now we've got, uh, our new vocalist Blaine. Well, I shouldn't say new. He's been with us for a couple of years, but, right. but Blaine, the vocalist on eradication is actually by far the best guitarist in the band. Blaine is a, he's an absolute fucking virtuoso player. Dude can play anything you put in his hands. And, um, so it's nice. Now I've actually got a kind of a stronger team around me of people that, that I can, I can bounce things off of. And, and now it's more collaborative, but yeah, I mean, I write the lyrics and, you know, I write the majority of the riffs, but it's it's definitely a group effort. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I read somewhere that, that that's just that you are constantly working and your brain is constantly in motion. So you're not necessarily thinking, I got to have stuff for the next project. That's just how you're wired. You just do it just to do it. Yeah. I mean, if I don't do something with my time, I'll go insane. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I know we're friends on Facebook, but, you know, I, I paint, I do graphic design work. I do, um, I, I just do anything creative to me just to keep my brain fresh and keep my brain working. Otherwise I'll just have a fucking, I'll have a meltdown or I'll be depressed or I don't know. It's just, that, that kind of shit. I just feel like you got to get it out. You know, if you sit around stagnant, you don't do anything. The longer you don't do anything, the harder it is when you, when you go to do something. So sure. it's kind of like the, the body in motion stays in motion sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, whether it's art or whether it's picking up the guitar or whatever, I, I have to do that shit or I, no one will want to be around me. Is it a conscious thing for you that you have to say, I need to do this? Or is it just like you'll be walking through the house one day and all of a sudden you'll find the guitar in your hands and then later on it's four hours later and you realize that you've spent the entire day just noodling? 
Uh, both. You know, I'm not a big noodler. I'm not a big shred guy. I can I can play enough to to get by. I'm a big riff guy. And um, yeah, you know, like right now there's a guitar like two inches away from me. There's a guitar right behind me. There's there's a guitar in every room in my house. Right. So, and in little practice amps everywhere. So you know, if if I get something in my head, I can throw my cell phone next to an amp and hit record and just you know fucking riff out for a little while. So I don't know if it's necessarily a conscious effort. I never have to force myself to do it. You know, I think a lot of guys have to really commit and say, I'm going to do this. Like to me, I don't have a nine to five job. You know, I mean, I, I do a lot of freelance design work and, and other stuff to, and I own a screen printing business. So like, you know, my money sort of comes in as it comes in and the rest of the time I'm free to fuck off, which is kind of a, a nice luxury to have as a musician. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, for me, it's just natural. If I see a guitar sitting there and I'm bored, I'll just pick it up and start wanking and, you know, nine out of 10 times, something usable will come out. So I just put it in the bank and, and save it. Awesome. And and you have a library that you have your own code as a reference point. I need this and just go to the phone and there it is. Or do you dump it down into your computer later on or and re-listen to them? Or is it just kind of like it's there until you specifically want it? Uh, kind of both. And uh, what we'll do, you know, when we start, like right now, we're actually, here's an announcement. We're, we're like three songs into the next album. Uh, recording. We're, we're in the demo process. We're in the studio working. But um, yeah, so what we'll do is like, we'll, we'll get together and I'll actually just start to dump them in the computer. Cause then once you've got, you know, five riffs for a song and you can start moving shit around, you can see what works, you can start playing with vocals and stuff. So, so yeah, like I'll, a lot of times I'm, I'm kind of, I'm selfish with my riffs in the, in the way that like, I don't share them with the, with the group all the time. I'm not one of these guys that like records something and then immediately shares it with the band we don't keep like a Dropbox folder and I don't know why this is, but it's just, I just don't feel right. Like handing, handing that shit over until it's time to use it sometimes, or I don't want it to be taken out of context and judged. You know, a lot of riffs don't stand on their own. Sometimes they are just kind of like support riffs or like, you know, riffs that would fit under a solo or something busier. So they're not that fun to, to listen to by themselves. And, um, yeah, so, you know, sometimes I'll, if it's if it's something really cool and I want to build on it, I'll send it to the other dudes and, and let them kind of sink their teeth into it. And, and if they have any ideas that'll work with it, you know, then maybe they'll bring them to practice or bring them, you know, to the studio or whatever. But yeah, most of the time it just rots in my phone until it's time to use it. <laughs> so for rehearsals, then when you get into the actual rehearsal stage, is that where these ideas start coming together and, and then the song is constructed or is it you bring it pretty much almost done and they just kind of everybody finishes it up with little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. I mean, I bring it like kind of three quarters done, you know, but if there's something that needs to be changed to like support the vocals or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm not like a dictator by any means. It's not, this is the fucking riff, learn it, love it. You know, it's, it's, I'm definitely open to suggestions. And, you know, when you have a, you know, good support team around you, when you have good guys and, you know, even now, you know, being managed by Craig and I've, I've been sending Craig and stuff and he's been giving me feedback and that's fucking awesome to have actually. So, yeah. I, do, I do value that, you know, so yeah, I'll, I'll bounce stuff off of people and see what they think. And, you know, well, I think it's time to check out a song from the mighty workers. This is the title track off their full length album. It's called eradication.
That's awesome. So when uh, when you guys are out playing live, right, you're doing these live shows, you have a reputation for being really high energy. Do you think that Warcurse is kind of by default a live band? Is, is that what you think you're the most known for? Yeah, I, I think so. And I take a lot of pride in that. There's so many good bands that are they're amazing recorded and you see them live and it just doesn't live up to it. And um, one of the things and maybe it's to our own detriment, maybe I, I don't know. It's just my it, it's 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 like my musical integrity. I try not to record things that I know I can't do live. Sure. You're not gonna you're not gonna hear a bunch of studio magic. We don't have ninety seven layers of guitars that aren't gonna be there when you see us perform. You know, there's not there's just not tons of shit, you know. We don't we don't make these big fucking huge production albums that we can't live up to. We make a, a good album, solid album that we can one hundred percent recreate in a live environment. And then, you know, as far as like the high energy, that's something that we put a lot of work into. That was something that we put a lot of emphasis on. We started playing shows and um you know, immediately when it, when it sort of caught fire, I felt, okay, well, what, what can we do to, to keep this, this fucking, this momentum going and get the word to spread? And, you know, it's a live show, you know, your word of mouth is all you've got when you're a new band. So, uh, we just, you know, it, it sounds corny, but you, I, I come from my background as a kid, I always played sports and, uh, you know, primarily I wrestled and I did MMA and all that sort of shit. Oh, and, shit. And the, yeah, the old, but the, but the mantra is, you know, you train how you fight, you know, if you, if you are lazy in practice and if you, you drop your hands and in, in sparring, you're going to do it when you fight. And the same thing applies to playing music. You know, if you, if you stand around and stare at your feet in rehearsal, you're going to stare at your feet when you get on stage, that's all you know. So it's kind of like muscle memory. I made it a point to, you know, when we do rehearsals, it's a fucking rehearsal, you know, you're going to come prepared, you're going to bang your head, you're going to run around you know, you're going to do what you would do on stage. And, and by beating that mentality and everybody else in the band, you know, we kind of develop this, this thing, you know, and people know when they see war curse live, like we're going to kick you in the fucking teeth. You know, that's what we do. Rehearsal for you is actually preparation for a show as opposed to just, Hey, let's play these songs and see if we can get on the same page. Yeah. We don't really do that. That same stuff. Um, we kind of, you know, I think when you're a new band, you need those, uh, Every every Monday and, and Wednesday, you know, whatever sure. bands get on these schedules. <laughs> we haven't done that for a couple of years, and I don't know if it's for the better or worse. But um, yeah, I mean, for us, it's like if we got a tour coming up, if we've got, you know, recording coming up, whatever it is. If we need to be ready for something important, we'll get in the rehearsal room and we'll we'll grind it out. We'll work on it. But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't give a shit to like get together once a week and play the same songs over and again. Yeah, I think it kind of creates like a, a level of boredom and stagnation and. I don't sit around and listen to my own music. You know, I'm not sitting like, I'm not going to listen to eradication today when I get off here. It's, um, it keeps it kind of special to you. You know, like I can, I can enjoy those songs as a, as a fan because I just never hear them, you know? And if I sat around playing them all the time, I'd be bored to death with them. I wouldn't want to play them anymore. So yeah. in order to, yeah, I don't know. just, it, it's my philosophy and I'm sure a couple of the guys in the band probably wish we did the, did the Monday, Wednesday, you know, practice thing or whatever, but I don't know. You know, it's interesting when working with these other bands, you you learn what they do. And, um, you know, I was talking to Exodus about it this weekend. They did the whole Bonded by Blood thing. Those guys, they hadn't been in the same room together in God knows how long. You know, Gary's been out with Slayer for so long. They didn't rehearse. You know, they just fucking jumped up on stage and did it. And right. um, it, it, it's like I saw a meme floating around years ago, and it was one of those like, but what if I told you you could come to band practice prepared? You know, what if you'd practice at home and 
to me, that's like, that's key. You know, if you show up at practice and you haven't played the songs, you're wasting my fucking time. You know, like I want you to at least come to practice ready to rehearse, you know, be, you know, the songs. I don't want to have to spend my whole night showing you riffs that you already should know and could have, you know, refreshed at home. So yeah, it's called doing your fucking homework. That's how I feel about it. Amen. But you know, there's so many, I've been in bands with so many guys that they think, you know, rehearsal is time to relearn the songs and relearn how to play their parts. And it's like, you motherfucker, you know, I didn't come here to <laughs> babysit your fucking ass all night. So I've yeah. been to a lot of shows where you can tell that the bands either don't like each other or they just don't get together that often or they just mm-hmm. don't do their homework. But a, a lot of times you go there and you spend money. And sometimes like I'm known to travel to go to concerts, like I'll go across the country to see a show and nothing's more frustrating as just a, a fan to know that you're not getting the show that you were hoping for. But as a musician, you can pick that shit apart so fast. And it's, you're almost sometimes embarrassed for people. Like, why did you go on? Dude, I, I shouldn't say this, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> what, that's going to become a, your meme, by the way. Dude, it is. I don't care. <laughs> you know what? I'm an outspoken dick. Everybody knows I'm an asshole anyway. There, um, I don't even have to say his name, but uh, the, the fucking all-star jam at the uh, at the 70,000. It, it was a bunch of dudes from different bands got together and did some cover songs. Sure. It's typically pretty fun, but yeah, I'm like, I watched one guy who, if you if you care that much, just Google it. You'll figure out who did it. Right. Uh, vocalist of uh, one of these bands that's on the boat. And they, they did Ace of Spades. That song's got 19 fucking words in it. And this motherfucker gets on stage. He's reading off right in front of his face. He's reading the fucking lyrics off a phone and still fucked it up. And it's like, <laughs> God, you lazy fucking piece of shit motherfucker, you know? So, uh, yeah, when I see stuff like that, I'm just embarrassed. You know, I wanted to fucking get on stage and throw that motherfucker into the crowd and sing the rest of the song for him. But, um. And it's it's different also when it's an iconic song that everybody fucking knows. Yeah, who doesn't know the words to fucking Ace of Spades, right? Especially this guy is like a fucking English guy in a metal band. Like he should be fucking crucified. But but you know that stuff. I but that that's part of my philosophy though, and I think that's again where Warcurse kind of got our reputation. Um, I owe it to these fans. I don't care if the show is is free. I don't care if it's ten dollars, whatever it is. E- even if it's a free show, you gave me your time and you drove across town, you spent some kind of money, you made some sort of accommodation to come see my band play, and the least I can do to thank you is to give you the show that you deserve. And, um, yeah, you know, it does bother me when when I spend money or when I go see a band and, you know, the chemistry's bad or, you know, they haven't rehearsed. You know, I don't mind fuck-ups on stage. You know, if you fuck up, you fuck up. That's yeah, actually sure. kind of the that's part, That's part. actually kind of the fun of, of the live, you know, show experience. And I think, you know, Metallica is one of the, the greatest bands of all times. They fuck up. I don't even know how many times they fuck up in a set, you know, and they laugh about it and they smile and they look at the guy that fucked up and giggle. And like that to me, that's kind of cool. You know, like you're getting an organic performance. Yeah. It's even but, better uh, when they give each other shit over it in front of other people, because that just basically says you have enough confidence in yourself that, eh, you know, we're just fucking human. Yeah, they're fucking Metallica, you know? I mean, who cares? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we botched the fuck out of a Metallica cover, actually, one time. We, um, I shouldn't say we botched it to death, but the very end of the song, we, had, we hadn't even rehearsed this fucking thing with, with our current lineup ever. And uh, we hadn't played it, me, me Murphy, and uh, actually, that's all that's left since the last time we played it is me and Murphy. Nobody else in the band had ever done this cover. And uh, we played this Cincinnati, it was like a metal reunion, bunch of bunch of old bands that that came before us got back together and they asked us to, to kind of play it, bring in a crowd. And 
Yeah, we did uh, Trapped Under Ice, which is a really fun cover. We've yeah. done it. Over, we've done it over the years. But yeah, we fucked the shit out of the end of that song, man. The, the right, right, the little bridge before it goes back into the intro riff. Drummer got off. The stage was terrible. Nobody could hear shit, and it was just fucking funny, man. We all laughed about it. The crowd had a good laugh. Got on stage and sang with us. Who cares? You can't take yourself too fucking serious. But like, you can still come prepared, though. If you're playing your own shit, you got no excuse. Sure. Yeah, like you said, a fuck up is one thing, but just just lack of ability or lack of motivation will definitely come through and people can pick that apart just so fast. And that just sucks. Well, the band, the, the other thing you were talking about is like bands that don't get along with each other. And and that's an interesting thing. And that's actually it's so much more common than you would think. Yeah, and, I, I've um, seen you know. it. I've seen it a lot now because I, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of bands. And I would say that probably at least half the time there's at least one or two that don't get along, if not the entire band, which just makes me wonder why the fuck are you still doing it? I've been in bands like that. And I can tell you that if the money isn't there, which, you know, guys on our level, the money's just not, we're not getting paid. We're not getting rich doing this shit. Right. So it's, so the bands that do this and tolerate each other for the sake of, uh, I guess, you know, keeping the thing rolling, it's, it's always money motivated. And uh, I've worked for some of these bands or I've worked shows or been on tours with some of these bands and it's really fucking awkward. You know, it's, um, they don't, they don't speak to each other on the bus. The bus is real tense. They fight a lot. And, you know, being, being somebody who's just, you know, crew or just, you know, even worse when you're the tour manager and you have to put a bandaid on this thing and make sure nobody kills each other. And, you know, the fights get resolved. It's really, it sucks. You don't want to, you don't want to step in and be a, uh, you know, a mediator in somebody else's band, but, you know, it's, it's a very strange dynamic, you know, and I don't, I know there's a lot of really big, like high profile bands out there that, um, like the guys can't stand each other and they'll just get on stage and, and that's the only time they see each other. I've heard stories of guys with their own buses because they can't stand being on the bus with, you know, the guitarist or the vocal, you know, whatever it is, they don't get along. So, you know, if it's a paycheck, I, I guess you don't get to pick the people you, you work with if you have a nine to five job and, Music, if that's your your job and your livelihood, you're just going to do what you have to do to make it work. That is an element I think that a lot of people don't think about is for some people, music is a job. And while a lot of us would have that be the dream for music to be your job and I make money playing music, it's different sometimes when bands are put together by production companies or by labels, or at least they're introduced to each other by by that dynamic. And And you can usually tell when there's not an organic vibe within a band. Yeah. I think a lot of guys get hired for their, you know, their look or because, uh, you know, they did this, that or whatever, you know, they get plugged into little positions here and there. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, but, um, I think, I think it creates a lot of animosity, you know, when you've got these guys that are, that are kind of hired guns. And then after they stick around for a while, they, they feel like their, their worth should go up or their value should go up and it doesn't. And, and you know those guys are a very quintessential part of of that band performing. Sure. And without the without those guys, you have nothing. You know, you don't have a. You, you might have to go hire another guy. That's a big setback. You got to train somebody else. You don't know if they're going to vibe well. You know, so I don't know. It, it's just a very when music becomes your your career and your livelihood, it definitely changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think from your perspective? I mean, what what are the realities that people that want to get into the music industry, what would you tell them? What What is the day to day like? What's your lifestyle like? You know, what should they expect out of going on tour and doing the rigors of the road and getting into the studio? Well, the first thing I tell everybody when they ask me about getting into music is don't just don't do it. <laughs> save yourself the headache, save yourself the aggravation. 
become a fucking pharmacist or an accountant or something that pays a lot of money with kind of minimal effort. Just do that. Um, but if you insist on throwing your life away and this is what you really want to do, just, just be prepared. It's like taking a internship someplace and, you know, getting abused and, and, you know, getting hazed and having to earn your stripes out there. You know, you're going to eat a lot of crow. You're going to bite your tongue a whole lot at first. And, um, you know, even once you're, you're in a band and you start touring, whether, whether you're on the business side and you have to bite your tongue because somebody else is your boss and they're, and they're paying you to be there or whether you're the, you know, the opening band that's, um, you know, trying to make it you and you're, you're on tour with somebody, you're, you're the support band. They're doing you a favor by letting you be there. And, and that's sort of the thing that I think a lot of people forget, you know, they get this ego about them. Oh, we're touring. We're, we're the shit. We're whatever. We've made it. Yeah. You haven't made shit, man. You haven't made it anywhere and you have to stay humble. You, you have to understand your, your place is to be that opening band and you're going to take it on the chin. You know, the, your, your fucking time slot's going to suck. You're going to be playing on the edge of the stage in front of everybody else's gear when the fucking doors open. You're not going to get, you know, the writer and you're not, you're not going to get all the stuff that you think you're going to get right away. You know, metal, especially, you know, if you want to go play pop music or you want to, you know, get into this hip hop fucking EDM, whatever this electronic bullshit, like I don't know how it works over there. So I could be totally wrong, but in metal, it's a game of longevity. You know, you, you can look at the bands that people consider new bands, you know, especially in thrash metal, which is, you know, kind of my genre and my circle. People consider bands like Havoc and Power Trip new bands. And it's, it's fucking hilarious. Like Havoc has been a band for like 16 years. And they're, you know, people call them a new band, you know, in Power Trip. I remember when those dudes were playing hardcore shows like fucking 12, 15 years ago, you know, or however long ago they, it's been so long. I can't even remember when I got that first Power Trip demo. But like it's definitely it's it's a game of uh, who can stick around the longest, and uh, you you just kind of like I hate to say it because you know Warcurse is kind of in the same boat. We're just waiting for some of these old motherfuckers to drop off so we can get our turn. You know, it's like <laughs> we're, we're 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 gonna earn it. You know, I'm not saying we're just gonna you know by default we don't expect somebody to give us anything, but it's like right yeah you, know, you know we're a fucking we're a thrash band and you know bands like Testament and you know, Exodus and all these bands, like they still got a lot of life in them, man. There's a, there's a, there's a long time between now and when bands like my band and Havoc and, you know, Warbringer and these other thrash bands before the spotlights ours, you know, we, we've still got to live in the shadow of, of these fucking legends for quite a while, you know? And then, you know, what'll happen is it'll be like, Oh, Hey, look out of nowhere comes workers. And you're like, fuckers out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, they'll they'll finally give us our due by the time I'm like 50 fucking years old, you know, but, uh, but, but, you know, that, that's the game. That's the nature of it, you know? And, uh, you know, in, in the meantime, the cool thing is you get a relationship with these guys and they help you along, you know, so, you know, guys like Craig and, or, you know, these other dudes in these bands, they want to see you succeed because they, they genuinely do care about this genre and the style of music. And, you know, even though we're not from the Bay Area, if you if you're a fan of the, you know, the Bay Area thrash of like the late 80s, early 90s, I don't think there's anybody out there, young band or new band that that's doing it like we're doing it. You yeah, know, I think that I think we're you know, we're, we're not doing the screaming vocal. We're not doing the speed for the sake of speed like we're trying to write. It's kind of I don't know. I shouldn't say we're trying to. But, you know, the, the music we write is very much in the vein of like, you know, that testament, you know, Metallica sort of style so it's got a very technical vibe to it that I really like it's I, I don't know if technical is the right word I would say more precision I guess is kind of what I pick up when I listen to to your guys's style 
Yeah, I, I think that would be a more accurate word because I'm not the most technical player in the world. <laughs> but uh, but no, but you know, but there's, but there's so many guys though that are enthusiasts of that that era and that 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 style and that sound, and they want to see that live on. You know, they don't want to see it die when these guys go away. So right, you know, when when they hear a band like ours, they're kind of like, holy shit, man! You know, this sounds like the thrash that I I grew up with, or this is the this is the kind of music I love. I didn't think anybody was making this kind of music anymore. So they you know they want to see you survive so that this music you know, makes it to the next generation of the next generation, you know? So it's, yeah. it's kind of cool. So the eradication, world. do you think that that is the true representation of the idea of what workers is? Yeah. I mean, final days was just sort of something that we crapped out. And honestly, I'm not even kidding you. We, uh, we didn't prepare for that before we went in the studio. We had just been, you know, jamming and horsing around and, uh, we recorded that in three days, you know, is it a live it recording. Out. Like you guys all did it all in one shot or. No, but, but it was quick. You know, yeah. there wasn't a whole bunch of editing. There wasn't, I mean, you could listen to it. There's no fucking studio magic. You know, I was just, I was just a quick, you know, jump in the studio crap out of demo and it accidentally became an album. But, right. uh, but yeah, eradication, I think th- that that's a hell of a lot closer. You know, that sounds like our band that sounds like us live, you know, that that's what we do. And, um, you know, we're, we're ever evolving. So I'm not going to say that we're going to sound like eradication forever, but, um, as of right now, yeah, I'd say it's pretty accurate. I'm very, very happy with the album. I'm, I'm thrilled with the with the mix and the master and everything. It was, uh, you know, we we recorded it with the same guy, the same engineer, and then we had Scott Atkins of Grindstone Studio in the UK did did all the mix, master, did the guitar tones and everything. And uh, Scott's one of my favorite engineers, so having him work on the album, I think, what was the icing on the cake? And um, yeah, I think he really he he's a guy who gets it. You know, he's done. Another young band that I love is called Savage Messiah. I know a lot of people have heard of them and a lot of people haven't. You should check them out. But uh, Savage Messiah's recordings in my eyes were kind of like, I, I've always held the Black Album to the to the highest standard. And whether you love or hate that album, sonically for its time, nothing is ever compared. Even probably to this day, I don't think there's ever been a better production than the Black Album. And uh, Scott's recordings to me kind of felt like if somebody was to attempt to record the black album today using modern technology, that might be what they would sound like. So, you know, when, when it came time to get this thing finished, it was, there was no, no other option in my eyes. Like we were going to find a way to get him to do it. And he did it. So very, very pleased with that album. And so you'd mentioned that you're, you dropped a little bit of an exclusive that you're actually working on some new material on an official level, you know, past the noodling stage. Are you going yeah. after the same sonic qualities that you got out of Eradication, or do you think you're going to try to get no, it to I go hope, in a little different direction? I hope it's better. You know, we we have not we haven't picked an engineer yet for the official recording, and uh, Craig Ann's hooked us up. He's he's got a couple guys that are looking at us, and um, we've got a couple guys we're looking at on our own. Scott being one of them. If we can if if we can get the budget to go to uh, to England to do the album, we're gonna we're gonna try to do that. It's kind of our first option. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope we can do better than our last album. I don't ever want to make the same album twice. I don't want it to sound the same, but I also, you know, I refuse to move backwards. So right. it's going to have, it's going to have to, you know, be better. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to definitely checking out what you have come coming down the pike here for sure. Uh, I wanted to, you kind of touched on it a few minutes ago, um, in a way, but, uh, as I was doing some research, of course, your Facebook profile says 75% of you would probably hate me. Are you that intense or are you really just a fucking prick? Oh, man. Uh, or are you well, just you brutally probably, honest? I think I'm honest to my own detriment sometimes. Um, 
you know, a lot of the political stuff, anybody who knows me, they know where I stand politically. And, um, you know, I think socially, I'm, I'm a pretty liberal dude when it comes to fuck whoever you want to fuck. You know, I don't, I don't care. Smoke whatever you want to smoke. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm kind of a, a believer in do what you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Yeah, you, you know? be you. Yeah, if you want to hurt yourself, I don't even give a fuck about that. You're not my problem. But, you know, when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to, you know, physical issues and, and budget and all that sort of stuff, I tend to lean, you know, a lot further to the right. You know, I, I just think, I think the problem, not to get all political, but I just think I've always been very centrist and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of straddle the fence. You know, I think one party has good issues on X, Y, Z, and the other party has better issues on A, B, and C. But the left has just gotten so fucking crazy. It's like the the goalpost has shifted to the you know, I, they they now talk about Barack Obama like he's some kind of horrible conservative figure, and I just laugh my ass off. Like I don't know what the fuck has happened to the Democratic Party. So you know, I I, I make these posts, I speak my mind. You know, my my publicist has advised me to maybe tone it down a couple of times, but I, <laughs> I reel it in a little it. bit. I don't, I don't know how to do it, man. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm me to my own detriment and it, fuck it. You know, some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't try to put too much of that shit in, into our music. I don't think that it's, it's necessarily fair for me to like 100% speak for the other members in my band, you know, especially Blaine. Cause he's the guy who's got to sing this stuff, you know, sure. he's the, Ultimately, 99% of people that listen to that album will just assume he he wrote it, and those are his opinions and his words, which, uh, you know, I, he might be mad at me. He might be thankful. I don't know. But, um, you know, we, we do write political stuff. You know, Iron Veil in particular was a song about, you know, life in North Korea. Um, some of the other tracks on there, um, Polluted Minds, I, I wrote that song about uh, the Antifa kids being a bunch of cunts. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I don't apologize for that shit. I think those are valid opinions that anybody, if they're not just completely politically skewed and brainwashed, would agree with. You know, I think if if you agree with somebody attacking and, you know, punching somebody else in the head because they're wearing a hat that you disagree with, then you're the fucking fascist. You're the asshole. Not me for, for pointing it out. So, you know, what if the hat's blue and I punch you in the fucking face? Is that all right? You know, so there's this, but there's this weird double standard in music where you're allowed to be extremely fucking liberal. You can say whatever the hell you want about the president as long as you're on the left. But the second anybody, any musician, any celebrity has an opinion that goes against that, this big think tank, this big bubble they live in, all of a sudden you're a bad guy and you're an asshole. Right. But there's a there's a lot of good people that share my views and you know, I won't I'll never out anybody. It's their it's their place to to state their public opinion. But you know, a lot of the guys that I know, and I know a lot of fucking people in this industry, and they agree with me. They're just not willing to fall on that sword. And I'm sort of in a position where, be it good, bad, or otherwise, like, I don't care. I, I mean, I, I have something to lose, but I don't have as much to lose, you know. I'm not going to lose some big fucking, you know, huge record contract or hundreds of thousands of fans because I don't even have hundreds of thousands of fans, so I don't fucking care, <laughs> you know. So, Well, you'd just rather have people know where you stand and then, you know, fuck it, choose to hang out or not. Yeah, you know, so so there's that. And then the other the other part of it, and, you know, I, I've talked about this to some people. One of the funniest things to me is like people meet me all the time. And even on the boat, you know, I had a bunch of people come up to me that they know who I am, but they don't know me. And and they're always, it's, I love the saying, like, they always love to say like, dude, I thought you were going to be an asshole or like, you know, wow, you're not an asshole. You know, it's like they're, they're genuinely surprised to find out that I'm not a horrible person. And, and that always amuses me. But, you know, here's the thing. 
when I started Workers, I had 250 to 300 friends on Facebook. And these were people that, that I'm, you know, intimately friends with. These are your family ac- your friends. Your actual friends. My real friends. My real fucking, you know, I could call them right now and whatever. You know, these are the people that I, you know, that I know that I, in my real life. And, and, you know, through the band and, and through, you know, all the other shit that I do. Next thing you know, I turned around and at one point, before I purged my account of all the weird racist hillbillies and all these, all these fucking people, just these off-putting weirdos that were adding me, I I jumped up to like four thousand friends, and I just I started like any anybody with a rebel flag, anybody with a racist meme, anybody with a stupid fucking opinion, like I just I just started deleting everybody slowly, and now I'm down to like fifteen hundred. But, <laughs> but 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 the point I'm making with this is like a lot of these people that add me, they don't know me. A lot of them just want something. Right. And that's, it's kind of a weird place to be, you know, whether it's like, it's a young musician who, and, and trust me, man, I will help anybody. Like if, if you message me and you need a hookup for a show in my city, you need to know who to message here for this, that, or the other, like, I'm totally down to help you. But if you friend request me and you don't even so much as say hi or introduce yourself and the very first thing you do is start asking me for, you know, to get backstage, to get a guest list spot, to get a guitar pick, to get you know, whatever it is that you want, or if you just want, you know, who can I contact to get on your record label or, you know, whatever it is like, dude, you know, I don't, I don't know. That doesn't sit well with me. Sure. So I've, so I've sort of, you know, I limit what I post on Facebook. That is, that is my real life. You know, I keep everybody, it's sort of my way of keeping people, you know, at an arm's length, I guess. So, so by being this character, this outspoken dickhead on Facebook, I, I guess I've made myself less approachable and less accessible to a degree, but I also, I'm, I'm not putting pictures of my family on there. I'm not putting pictures of, you know, the people I'm dating or, you know, whatever's going on in my, in my real life, that's nobody's business, you know? And so, so it's kind of my way of guarding myself, I guess, from some of these crazy fucking people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, but that being said, <laughs> I was hoping that maybe you would indulge me in a brutally honest game that I came up with this morning called who sucks more. I'm totally down for that. (laughs) And I figured you would be the perfect person to break in the new game on misery point radio. So, all right. Who sucks more lazy slash inept band members or lazy slash inept road crew band members. Yeah. And and the reason I say that is you could have the best crew in the world, but they're not going to play the show for you. So, Yeah, you band members, absolutely. All right. That that was for all you guys out there in podcast land. All right. Who sucks more, shitty front of house sound guy or shitty promoter? Oh, my God. That's so tough. <laughs> oh, fuck. You just opened a can of worms. Yep, oh, that's God. what I do. The, the biggest thing, this is my fucking gripe. Let's just put this out there. I'm going to fucking rant for a second. One of the things that chaps my ass more than anything is that promotion is a fucking lost art form, okay? Yeah. It, it used to be, and, and there are guys that still do this to this day, and I'm going to shout out Will Finer of Transplant Productions in Cincinnati. I, I showed him the ropes. I took him under my wing when he when he wanted to move to Cincinnati, and I, I said, this is how you got to do it, man. Nobody does it old school anymore, and this motherfucker, he's out there. I was just, I got, I got my coffee right here from jet age records down the street, a wonderful record shop, but, uh, you, you can't walk in the door without seeing 10 of his posters on the wall, handbills on the counter, 
you can't go to a show without this guy shaking your hand and inviting you to the next show. You know, he's old school. He pounds the pavement. He gets the people involved. He, he holds the bands accountable, you know, but he doesn't do any of this bullshit ticket sale fucking nonsense. There's no pay to play bullshit with this guy. I wish there was a will finer in every city, but there isn't. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys, these promoters, they think that promoting is agreeing to take a show. Half the time they, they try to fuck you on pay or they don't want to agree to your guarantee or they want to stick you with a door dealer. You know, whatever, whatever sketchy fucking business practice they're involved in depends on the level of the show, of course. But, um, but then they think that promoting is making a Facebook event page and just blasting it out to the people on their friends list. But that's fucking bullshit. You know, I get, I don't even know. I'm at fucking hundreds, maybe a thousand fucking event invites a week. And people don't look at those things anymore. Yeah. I could not even tell you what the fuck is in my event invites. And even if I'm bored, I never open the thing and, and try to figure out what's going on. Cause I've got to sift through, you know, Don Juan's fucking taco party and you know, some, some, some girl's gender reveal party and all this other horseshit. I just don't fucking care. There's too much of that crap. It's too saturated. Now people don't pay attention to it. It's, so lo- it's want, lost the face to face value. It is. But if you, if you book a band, especially a young band, especially a smaller tour, if you book that band and you don't promote that band, you have done everybody a disservice from that band to their crew, to their management, their record label, the the members of that band, the fans of that band who might not even hear about the show and might miss it yourself, the venue, because they don't make the money they should make. You have fucked everybody. You should do everyone a favor. If, if you want to promote on Facebook and you don't want to do your job, don't fucking book that show. So yeah, but, but shitty front of house that ruins the show for everybody too. Um, I think, if 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 the front of house sucks, just stand as close to the stage as you possibly can, and maybe you'll get the monitors, or maybe you'll just get the stage sound. I'm gonna say shitty promoters. Shitty promoters for the win, or I guess for the loss. Yeah, sorry <laughs> for the rant. <laughs> <laughs> that was epic. Don't don't apologize. All right, who sucks more? People who constantly ask for free merch, or people who ask you to sign fifty thousand things at one time. I would say free merch only yeah. because, you know, if the guy wants you to sign 50 things and he paid for them, yeah. like at least he's helping you out. I, I don't mind signing stuff. I, in fact, I kind of enjoy it. It used to be very weird. Um, I come from, from the punk and the hardcore scene. That's where I kind of cut my teeth and played shows for, for, for the decade plus. And it's very uncool in that genre to, to get an autograph or to have somebody sign an album. I, I've, n- I've never signed shit. I put out albums on multiple continents. I never signed a damn thing yeah. until I was in Workhurst. And, you know, I was signing shit, you know, first and second show. People were coming up getting autographs. And it used to be super weird. And, and I felt like a rock star dickhead doing it. And I didn't like it. But now it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's kind of flattering. It's flat. I mean, it's yeah. cool that somebody cares enough to want it and yeah. um, to know that, you know, because I've seen these guys and, and some of these, you know, these uh, like guitar pick collectors and some of these album collectors and dudes who on the underground that really kind of collect important kind of rare shit and stuff that, that they think is special to them. Yeah. It, it's very flattering to like see, you know, eradication for example, and it, it's on the wall right next to, you know, fucking an autographed copy of ride the lightning or something, you know, it's, it's really fucking cool to, to be a part of, you know, somebody's life like that. So oh, that's yeah, awesome I, to, I, to hear I, that that's your perception on that. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm 100% for hanging out after the show with the fans, sign whatever they want. I'll I'll give you the shirt off my fucking back. I'll give you, I'll give you my last guitar pick. I don't give a shit. You know, as long as you're as long as you're cool and and that's not the only reason that that you know that you want to 
get involved or you want to message me or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm totally down with that. And speaking of merch though, just, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, what percentage of a band's income do you think is merch related? It really depends on the band. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the bigger bands that, that I work for, they still make pretty good living, you know, as far as, you know, show income guarantees and sure. and all that sort of stuff. And they can even still make money off of a record, which is kind of, that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, you know, my generation, you pretty much give your music away at this point in time. Like right. the, the contracts are bad and with streaming and everything, you know, we're not grandfathered into the sort of treatment and the sort of budgets and everything that these other guys get to make an album and, and, you know, points and all that stuff on the back end, we get sort of fucked. So, you know, workers like 100%, if you want to support us, there's nothing better that you can do to support us than to come out to a show and buy something from us at our table. And, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to get our merch store back up soon. I actually build websites for a living, so I have no excuse to be so lazy. And but, um, you, uh, you design your own merch, don't you? Yeah. I design and print the merch and yeah. everything. But, um, yeah, so we'll have on our website, we have a great website, but we just, we haven't got our merch store back up. I've been so busy touring that, you know, I, I haven't had time to launch a new web store. So it'll be up soon for anybody that wants to buy anything, but, but 100%, I mean, even, even bigger bands, they still rely heavily on that merch money. Um, we all joke that we're just traveling t-shirt salesmen, you know, cause <laughs> we're not, we're not making a, a damn bit of money to show up and play, um, you know. Uh, we probably, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars we lost making our last album. Right. You know, we, we set ourselves a personal budget and we blew it wide open and, um, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. But yeah, merch definitely helps. That's merch is the difference in us, uh, eating and getting to the next town or, you know, dipping into our bank accounts and going home in debt. So, yeah. And, so, and uh, I, I think that that goes for most bands. Yeah. So buy the merch and they'll sign it for you. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, all right. Here's a fun one. Cause I hear about this all the time on both sides. All right. Who sucks more people who take gnarly shits on the tour bus or people who don't shut up on the tour bus. For one, you should never use the toilet on the tour bus. <laughs> Rule number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> number, number one only. That's all you're, yeah. If, if you're doing a number two on the bus, you're, you're breaking the cardinal rules of, of the tour bus. Um, <laughs> people who don't shut up on the bus. I've toured with some people that don't shut up on the bus. Um, you know, I don't know which is worse, uh, but but the nice thing is I don't have to if, – if you fuck up the toilet on the bus, you're an asshole, but that's like – that's your problem. You're the one that's going to – they'll fine you for that. You get, <laughs> you get that, called out a, for that one. No, no, but like the bus company will charge you for that. Like if you fuck up the toilet, you have to, or you fuck anything on the bus, like you got to pay for that shit. So uh, that's, that's your problem. But, um, I can always hide on my bunk <laughs> and, uh, throw on your headphones with, or something. Yeah. You know, touring with morbid angel taught me to hide on my bunk. So wah, wah. yeah, hundred <laughs> percent brutal. All right. Mm -hmm. So the loser of that battle is, uh, <laughs> people who number two, don't do it guys. Knock it off. Yeah. Yeah, no crapping on the bus. <laughs> we got a couple more here for you. All right. Overly preachy, stuck in their ways, old school bands, or overly preachy, stuck in their ways, old school fans who tell you what you should do for the next album. Hmm. Well, I don't think anybody should ever tell a band what to do on their album, um, be it good, bad, or otherwise. I think right. that you have to respect that artist. And it, it was a very tough pill for me to swallow. Metallica has been my favorite band since I was a kid. So, 
I can understand where people are coming from. Like I, everybody wants another master of puppets, but you got to understand that these guys are in their fifties and they can't physically do another master of puppets. Right. So it's not my place to tell that band how to sound or, or how to do their job. I just have to pick and choose what I like and what I listen to. Uh, bands that are overly preachy. Um, Randy Blythe comes to mind. You know, he's kind of a opinionated guy who's always out there. And, um, you know, it, it's the risk you run, you know, and, and I run the same risk. You know, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like you're going to mm-hmm. win some, you're going to, you're going to lose some, you know, some people are going to really agree with what you have to say, especially, you know, if you're kind of on the, you know, the, the orange man, bad fuck Trump bandwagon right now seems to be a pretty popular bandwagon to be on. So there's not much risk there, but, but, you know, they're still in metal. There's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of red blooded American men that love their guns and their, you know, their freedom and, and they're going to think you're a cock. So I don't know, you know, if you, if you want, if you want to be preachy, be preachy, but you know, you do it at your own peril sometimes. So I don't know. I think I'll go with, uh, I'll go, I'll go with shitty fans. You, you got to respect the, the band's decision to, to make the music that makes them happy. And, you know, if I've told this to people, you know, plenty of times that when they bitch about a band's album, I said, then go, you go write a better one. You know, if you don't like that album, what's your, what's your album sound like? You know, you go write a better album. Yeah. Uh, Vinny specifically was telling me that he caught a bunch of shit from the purists even before more in the Southern skies was released. And that blows my mind. Cause that album is so fucking good, man. Right. And I say that, I say this strictly as a fan. I don't say this as somebody that works for exhorter at all. Um, the first time, so I, I heard that thing in process, of course, like I heard, I heard scratch guitar track demos. I heard cell phone recordings. I heard, you know, initial rough cuts and, and all the way through the final thing. And I mean, to me, that is a fucking, that's how you make an album. That's how, especially a comeback album. You figure those guys hadn't put out an album in what, like 20, 27 or 29 yeah, 28 years? years, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, almost 30 years. And to come back with that motherfucker, oh my God, dude. I mean, I just got goosebumps talking about it. Like that fucking album to me, it's got the riffs, you know, it's got the groove. It's got, it's heavy. The production's amazing. Sasha Horn is a bad, bad motherfucker on the drums. Yeah. In my, in my opinion, he's one of the most criminally underrated drummers in the world. And, and what can you say about Kyle Thomas that hasn't already been said, you know? So it's like, you're getting everything. You're getting it all on one album. And Jason Vibrooks. Oh, Jason, of course. One of the other hardest working dudes in the industry. He is. I mean, that's where that groove comes. You know, Jason holds down the low end and he didn't attempt to, you know, play every, every riff note for note. I think that's a a thing that it's kind of a rookie move. That's the, I learned this actually. I never knew what a real bassist was until I was in a band with Jason. You know, a bass player to me was always just a failed guitar player or a guitar player that couldn't find a band, you know, and Jason plays bass. He plays bass lines. He adds groove. He adds a heavy bottom in and and it shines on that Exhorter album. So, so yeah, I mean, anybody that hates on that album, I mean, as Kyle says, you go fuck yourself, you know, it's, there's, but, but, you know, there's always that purist. Oh, it doesn't sound like Slaughter in the Vatican. You know why? Because Slaughter in the Vatican sounds like shit. You know, I'm sorry to fucking break it to all you guys out there that love that album. I love that album. I love those songs, but it's not a sonically good fucking album. It's not, you know, the the thing with More in the Southern Skies that I love so much from my point of view is I'm, I'm on the stage with these guys every night. 
I know what this fucking band sounds like. And that album sounds exactly like that band, yeah. you know, and it's, it's rare that you can say that, you know, there's, there's these bands out there that can't catch that lightning in a bottle. They can't, they can't recreate their live show. Um, I don't need to say names, but, there, but there's a lot of them. There's these bands that are hype bands and you get all stoked on their album and you go see them and it falls flat. And Exhorter is not that band, man. Exhorter, it, it, it's kind of funny. I've said this before. I worked for either of them, but I, I think that the, the two kind of most violent whip the crowd into a frenzy bands out there are Exhorter and Exodus. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm lucky enough now to, to work for both of them and, it, you know, to see that to see how they can fucking fire that crowd up and create pure violence in a matter of seconds. It's, it's something to, to really experience. So yeah, I don't know. Purists can fuck themselves. <laughs> Quoted memed. There you go. Yep. All right. And, uh, I got one more for you and, uh, this one, this one's, uh, dedicated at you. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, okay. Who sucks more people who fault musicians for not reinventing the wheel or people who fault musicians for reinventing the wheel. Oh my god! Yeah, that 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 one hits home. So <laughs> I know. Sorry. It, yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely did your research. You know, one of the things that I loved all of the reviews for Eradication, and this is across the board. Every every magazine, every website, every everything from from Metal Hammer all and and fucking Revolver all the way down to you know dickhead in a basement dot blogspot dot com. It's like the reviews were glowing. I don't think I saw a single bad review for this album. But even like, you know, the nine and ten out of ten reviews, they felt the need to just point out that we didn't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> I know, I read them all. It, yeah, yeah. And I just want to say, well who the fuck who who has reinvented the fucking wheel in thrash metal in the last 30 years? You know, you you want to you want to suck off these fucking second wave and third wave thrash bands and not to throw anybody under the bus, but like, pick any of them. You know, did Death Angel? I love Death Angel more more than most, and I'm not taking a crack at these guys at all. Or Violence, what the what fucking wheel did Violence reinvent? You know, some of these other guys. They it's just they're old now. They get held to a different standard than I do. But you know, my two cents is like, if the wheel isn't fucking broke, why the fuck do I need to reinvent it? You know, I, I didn't steal anybody's riffs. I didn't steal anybody's song structures, songs, vocal phrasing. There's not one fucking second of that album that you can point to and say, well, this is from this band or they, to they took this from that band or they were influenced in this part by that band. There's nothing on there that, that is aped or, or borrowed or anything. It's it's 100% original material. And I'm sorry if you, if you hear, you know, a testament influence in there. I'm sorry if, you know, if it is too mega death for your, you know, whatever. I didn't set out to write an album that sounds like something other than thrash metal. I wrote a fucking thrash metal album. It's going to sound like thrash metal. And, um, you know, I don't know if you don't like it, don't fucking listen to it. But, um, yeah, so that, yeah, it kind of chaps my ass. What, what, who, who, so I, I think the answer there was obvious, but what was my other option? What else? <laughs> Is there another it? option? Okay, so it was, uh, I see I lost my notes already. I was sitting here. It was people who fault musicians for not reinventing the wheel or people who fault musicians for reinventing the wheel. Well, we are a cocksucker either way. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, for real, because, you know, if, if a band does go out and they do something you know who I'm going to defend here? I'm going to just go on record. I love the band Ghost. Okay. okay. 
when so many fucking metal snobs, and this goes back to those elitist, purest fucking assholes that only like the first two albums of some fucking obscure band that put out a demo recorded in a, inside of a trash can in 1983. Fuck you guys. You know, but a band like Ghost comes along, and um, I, I don't even say Ghost is a metal band. I think this is where the problem stems from. Right. These guys, they get so fucking mad at these bands that do something different. Like it doesn't, yeah, they look a certain way and you gotta, you gotta keep in mind too, when, when these guys win awards, when they win like a best metal performance award or when, when some website writes something about them being like an innovative metal band or or doing something inside of metal, they didn't write that fucking article. They didn't nominate themselves for that award. You know, they, they are just doing what they do. And then it's the experts. It's these fucking industry people who decide that they're going to pigeonhole them and stick them in, into this little box over here because of the maybe the way they look or because of their lyrical content, whatever. But you Ghost themselves, they've never talked about being the most metal band in the world or being a metal band or any of this other kind of shit. They just they're just Ghost, right? And you know, from their theatrics to you know the music they write to everything about it. Their, their, their videography, like the, the, the way that they introduced, like, you know, the changing of the papas and all this, all this shit that they do that, that a lot of the purists think is corny or whatever. I think that's the brilliance of it. And I, you know, I think that honestly, you'd be tough pressed to think of a band in the last 20 years that's marketed themselves better or that's come out of the gate so strong and done such a good job. So, you know, if it doesn't sound like anybody else, that's fucking awesome. That's why they're so fucking successful because they don't sound like anybody else. They sound like ghost. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you just want to listen to the first, you know, three arch enemy albums over and over again or whatever you're into, I'm not even picking on arch enemy. You know, if you want to listen to the fucking, if you only like venom, then go listen to fucking venom. I'm not going to tell you otherwise, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, some of that closed mindedness and some of that inability to, uh, accept new bands and accept new ideas and new sounds that is sort of the metal industry's problem and and i think that's from the top down you know in thrash metal it's a little different because you know we're we're sort of traffic jammed by all these guys who who already kind of do the same thing but but there is this like inability to look 10 years down the road i think it's going to bite a lot of record labels in the ass i think it's going to bite a lot of industry people in the ass when they realize that they have not created the next crop of headlining bands you know, Slayer's gone now. Metallica might have, you know, five, 10 years left, you know, but when these guys start to drop like flies, when these guys get too old, thrash metal is a hard fucking genre to play. You know, it's hard. It's hard when you're in your twenties and thirties. It's it's a physically demanding genre of music to play. And, and when these guys are gone, like who the fuck is going to headline, you know, Hellfest? who is going to headline these massive hundred thousand person, theaters who's going to fill these venues you know it's um i think there's a there's a real need for people to start getting behind younger bands and and start you know accepting new ideas and all this shit because what's going to happen is as you look at the biggest bands now these you know quote you know younger bands you know we talked about how people think you know power trip or whatever is is a new band but if every old band retired today how big of a room could power trip really fill you know, and that's not a dig on those guys. They're a phenomenal fucking band. They deserve to fill much bigger rooms. But is, what is depressing to me as a, as a music fan is that I think about, you know, 10 years down the road, am I ever going to see another big performance? Like, am I going to ever go to, you know, Riverbend in Cincinnati or, you know, Klipsch in Indianapolis or any of these really awesome 
you know, outdoor amphitheater style music venues, these big, or go to an arena show with, with a big light show and a big stage and all this crazy pyro and all the shit. Cause no, no fucking band on my budget's ever going to have that shit, you know, and, and nor could we even fill the fucking bathrooms at fucking river bend, you know, like <laughs> let alone the 40,000 person fucking lawn, you know? So I don't know. I, I just think that, um, some people really, really need to stop and think long and hard about this because they're going to put themselves out of business and if you're a fan, you're going to be very lonely, very disappointed, and very fucking bored with a wide open schedule when there's nobody to watch if you don't start accepting some of these new bands. Yeah, there you go. So, wow. So so my, my answer to that, <laughs> I'm sorry, that went a little long, but my answer is both of those people really fucking suck. So equal suckiness on that equal, answer. E- equal suckiness, 100%. Oh, there you go. So fuck both you guys. Yeah, so. fuck everything. <laughs> awesome. There's my positive. Yeah. Well, hey, I uh, I appreciate that uh, that indulgence on on who sucks more. There you go, breaking it in. All right, <laughs> so. but check it. But you know who you, you know who sucks the most, right? You know it. I know who I think you think sucks the most. Are we talking who about su- Are we talking about bands? Who sucks the most? Are we talking bands? We're talking bands. I think that you think sucks the most is a band that rhymes with, I don't know, Hacred Stike. <laughs> I want you to say it. <laughs> Sacred Reich. There you go. Sacred Reich sucks the most. Oh, where does your deep-seated hatred of Sacred Reich come from? I've got to know. We've only got another, I don't know, I don't know how much longer until this thing <laughs> stops recording. Right? It just goes uh, way back, yeah. huh? It, it goes back, but man, you want to talk about new albums that, you know, Exhorter and, and you know, all these bands that, th- these legacy bands, it seemed like, for one, right now, uh, all these record labels are jumping on these nostalgia acts, like, because it sells, you know, I can't fault them for it. If you want to make a, if you want to sell a quick 10,000 units right now and you're a record label, you're not going to, like, invest in my band that can sell, you know, a quick two or 3,000 units. You're going to invest in some legacy band Sure. who based on name alone can can quickly move the needle and disappoint a bunch of fans, but you already got their money, you know? So, yeah, you know, if, if you look down the line and you look at who's put out killer albums since reforming or even just after a hiatus, like everybody, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, Megadeth Dystopia was, uh, was the best album that Megadeth had put out since maybe since Rust in Peace, which is, you know, maybe a bold thing to say, but I love that fucking album. And, um, you know, even Metallica, they get shit on like hardwired was an amazing album. Repentless wasn't a bad album, you know, anthrax. I thought that worship music was a pretty good album. All these, all these legacy bands and overkills always put out great albums. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you, you look at these older guys and it's like death angels last four albums have been fucking masterpieces. And same thing with Testament Exodus. All these guys are putting out great albums. And and so I expect that, you know, if you're going to reform, if you're going to put out an album after a long break, like, God damn, man, you've had 25 fucking years to write this thing. It better be good. And Sacred Reich put out this uninspired piece of shit album. Sonically, it fucking sucks. Uh, musically, it's mediocre at best. There's no, there's no memorable riffs. There's no great memorable vocals. There's a couple of good solos. The drumming is really good. But aside from that, they just phoned it in, man. I just felt like it was a... It was a cash grab at best, and I don't know. And then I see all these people sucking their ass, and I see them, you know, headlining over bands that deserve to headline over them. And to me, I just like, as a fan, I'm just like, I don't fucking get it, man. I'm tired of this, you know, this this stuff being crammed down my throat. Is like, 
oh, you're a thrash guy. You got to like this. You got to be on board with this band. And everybody tells you, like, you can't talk shit. You can't say this. You can't say that. But I have a fucking opinion. And, uh, yeah, I just think that opinion and a lot of people agree with me. I've been on other interviews where other hosts and shit have said, you know, they fucking totally agree with me. I just think that album's a piece of crap. So, <laughs> and, 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 and Phil's a fucking corny dick. So there you have it. Well, no mincing words on that one. Nope. None at all. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, dude, this has been absolutely killer and I've sucked up an insane amount of your time more so than I expected. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. What can we expect from the next few months from Justin Roth and from workers? Well, from Justin, I don't know, man. Don't expect too much. Uh, you'll be let down. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Workhurst is about to announce a tour. We're working on something. We're gonna we're gonna put some miles in this year. So that's pretty cool. We're working on this new album. Um, you know, we'll see where things end up. Uh, I think we're gonna have some exciting shit going on. We're gonna announce some festivals and some other stuff we've got going on. Uh, keep your eye open for that. Uh, for me, I, hell, I don't even know what's next. I've got the Exhorter Overkill tour coming up. So. Come and come and hang out if you want to want to shoot the shit on that. I'll be at all those shows and, you know, who knows? But yeah, just grinding as usual. Cool. And what's the best place to uh, keep up with your schedule and your projects? Where can they stalk you on social media land? Uh, you, you can add me on Facebook at your own risk. But um, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to keep up with my band, obviously just go to workhurse.com. You can go to facebook.com slash metal. We're on Twitter. We're on, you know, we're on all the usual shit, you know, but, but our website, you know, we try to keep that updated. Our Facebook's normally pretty active. So yeah, catch us there. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll uh, keep up with you out there on the road and uh, thanks for hanging out today on Misery Point Radio. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's been a good conversation. It has been an absolutely epic conversation. And I know it went a little longer than normal, but it's not often that someone speaks their mind so openly and gives us such an in-depth look and personal insight into an industry that's still somewhat of a mystery to the average music fan. So do me a favor. If you have any feelings left after today's verbal assault, hop on over to your platform of choice and subscribe to Misery Point Radio. And don't forget to follow us on social media as well. And if you're not completely emotionally shattered, go check out Warcurse on all their sites as well. And who knows, maybe Justin will sign your copy of the new Sacred Reich album. Now, prepare your ear holes for one last track from Warcurse off their album Radication. Here's Serpent featuring a guest solo from Kragen Lum. Chosen to play the boss, an evil born in the